my message this morning is taken uh, from uh, the book of Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 2, we read uh, about the city of Jericho. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, we're told that Jericho was securely shut up. It was in lockdown because not of a virus, but because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And then a little later in chapter 6 of Joshua, verse 17, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. And one person in that city, Rahab, uh, we'll uh, hear more about her later on, but it was only her house that was safe from the destruction that was about to come uh, to the inhabitants of Jericho. Now, we have witnessed in the last week or so about cities, uh, a city like Leicester, for example, being put in lockdown. And the lockdown in Jericho was much, uh, much more strict. No one was able to leave the city. Uh, it was a walled city. It was built on a hill. Uh, so uh, the invading army of the children of Israel uh, were at a disadvantage. The walls around Jericho uh, were a double ring of walls. Uh, the outer walls were six feet thick. So even if the enemy uh, were able uh, to get through those, there was an inner wall that was even thicker, 12 feet thick. And so here is a city that looked invincible, but this city, with all of its fortifications, was no match for the invading army of the children of Israel. And this is what we've got here, and this is why I want us to consider it this morning. Here is a city in lockdown, and like in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, where pilgrims start off from the city of destruction, here is a city of destruction. And uh, maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, uh, I thought that uh, it was the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And you were talking this morning about God's judgments coming upon a city. Uh, yes, I am. And it's not just Jericho that is the city of destruction. It's not just Bunyan's pilgrim that lived in a city of destruction. But according to the Bible, you and I, wherever we are living, whether it's Cardiff or somewhere else, it is the city of destruction. Now, we'll come to the good news, I promise. Uh, we will come to that. But we do need to consider the bad news first. I would not be a faithful ambassador to the King of Kings uh, if I didn't deliver the message that there is such a thing as judgment. And it's not just something for people out there. All of us uh, find ourselves when we're born into this world that it is the city of destruction. Now, this uh, is something that we struggle with. Uh, there's um, a cartoon that is mentioned by Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary on Joshua uh, in a Christian magazine, and it shows uh, two soldiers uh, and a walled city like Jericho, uh, and they're about to lead an army uh, to attack it. They're two commanding officers, and one turns to the other and says, or asks the question, what would Jesus do? I think that tries to make the point. We may have this sentimental view of Jesus Christ and even of his God and Father. Uh, we may think of God as a Father Christmas character, a benign, helpless being sitting in heaven while this world is going to pots and people 
are ignoring him. But the Bible from beginning to end, not just the Old Testament, but the New as well, declares that God is a God of judgment, that God will not allow sin to go unpunished. It seems like that. It seems as if those who are good people have it bad for them and bad people have it good for them. But one day they will have their reckoning. Even those who are not believers have to admit that there has to be some sort of justice. However we define that, we all have to say uh, that sin can't go unpunished. That's what we mean by God's judgments. Now, let me just give you a few reasons why this isn't something unfair about God. God is our creator. God created the inhabitants of Jericho. God made you. He made me out of nothing. We wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for God. Now, I'm asking this question. It's a philosophical question, but it makes the point. Doesn't the creator have every right to do what he wants with what he's created? Now, thank God that our creator isn't an evil God. He doesn't have evil intents towards what he's created. He's good. Even his judgments are pure. It's not like a person losing his temper. That There is something clean about the judgments of God. And doesn't he have every right to do as he wills with his creatures? And then when we think of Jericho and the people that lived there, it's not a group of righteous people that were going to be unfairly judged. It's not a genocide uh, that uh, was unjust. There's an interesting verse in the book of Genesis where Abraham is told uh, that he's only going, or his descendants are only going to inherit the land of Canaan, which is happening in the book of Joshua, until the fourth generation. This is the generation now. Because the iniquity of the Amorites, the people who lived in Jericho, is not yet complete. What does that mean? Well, it means this. The iniquity, the sin, the filth of the people of Jericho was building up. And God, for four generations, is patient with them, giving them an opportunity to turn to him. But instead of doing that, they're going from bad to worse. The kindness of God, instead of leading them to repentance, leads them to sin more boldly. And so it's like their judgment is heaping up as their sin is increasing. And now God is saying, enough is enough. And if you read the book of Leviticus, uh, don't do it this morning, uh, but in Leviticus we're told, that the people of Jericho were guilty of sins such as adultery. Well, we see plenty of that, but worse, temple prostitution, incest, and even children being sacrificed. Now, that's a city that is ripe for God's righteous judgments. Wouldn't you agree? You see, the problem, in a way, is not... Why is God judging them? But why has God been so long-suffering? Now, that's a good problem, but that, that's the mystery. Why is God so patient with people when they are putting their fist up to him, when they are going far away from him, and God is still calling to them, pleading with them? Jesus Christ, when he was traveling to Jerusalem for the last week of his earthly ministry, knowing full well what was going to happen, he wept over 
city. He wept for the inhabitants. He wept when he saw that in AD 70, God's judgments would come down upon that city. That's how kind and long-suffering God is. Now, we are not like the army of the children of Israel. The church today isn't uh, picking up the sword to fight against its enemies. God was using in the Old Testament the children of Israel in a special way. That's not what we are about today, but the principle is the same. We are using not a physical sword, but the sword of God's word. That's what I'm bringing this morning. Uh, the great um, Apostle Paul said, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of Jericho's. What are the Jericho's? The strongholds casting down arguments. They are the fortresses and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Well, what's the intent? To bring every thought to the captivity of the obedience of Christ. Our Joshua, our Joshua is leading us as a church to do battle with uh, people who don't want God, who have rejected him all their life. And our Joshua, our Christ, is using his word not to destroy those people, but to bring them to their senses, to cause them to turn to him and to be delivered. Uh, this is what one person said about the recent uh, coronavirus. Uh, these words are quite uh, sobering. I believe God, think of Jesus Christ weeping over the sin of Jerusalem. I believe God is deeply saddened by our society. That for years we have been telling God to get out of our schools, to get out of our governments, and to get out of our lives. We may be saying that respectfully. But that's what we're doing. That's sin, rebellion against God. And being the gentleman he is, I believe he has calmly backed out. How can we expect God to give us his blessing and his protection if we demand he leave us alone? Paul in Romans says it's not just God walking away, but God giving a people over to their lusts. It's the ungodliness that has led to the unrighteousness that we have witnessed in our own land. It's not just Jericho that heaped up for generations sin that caused it to be ripe for judgment, but hasn't Western society, by rejecting God first and then turning away from his laws, been heaping up Sin after sin, filth after filth, that is leading us to God judging us. There are such things as God's temporal judgments, things that God allows to happen. God just removing his hands and saying, you want to go as you are without me? Very well, I will let you do that. And what we find is just a little bit of hell being let loose. And then... All those temporal judgments, as C.S. Lewis saying, is God uh, using a loudspeaker trying to get us to see sense. But then all those temporal judgments are going to lead to a final day of judgments when this city of destruction is going to be destroyed for once and for all. Jesus Christ, when he first came, it was to save. But even when he was here as saviour, he spoke more about hell than heaven. Did you know that? He warned more about judgments. But one day he's going to come back. And it won't be as saviour then. It will be as judge, as judge. And I'm sure the inhabitants or some of the inhabitants of Jericho, this didn't include Rahab, but some of the inhabitants thought they were safe. 
within those walls that there's no way they are going to be destroyed. And don't we build metaphorical walls around ourselves? Don't we think that we are impregnable? Don't we think as the West that the West is the best? Well, maybe these last two decades, God has allowed things to happen to make us see that we are just as broken, just as fragile as any other empire was. Don't we, in our personal lives, build walls thinking that we're secure? Uh, we say, don't we? Uh, I hear people saying, we've got our health. We, we don't have to worry about death and about God's judgments, even though the Bible says man is appointed once to die and after that, the judgments, the judgments. We've built walls to protect our minds from thinking such doer thoughts. That's how we put it. It's not doer thinking, my friends. It's real thinking to face up to death. Am I ready to meet my maker? Have I got someone to protect me? And what these last few months have proven to all of us is that our walls can crumble. Who would have thought that our society would have been in lockdown? Who would have imagined that? But they're just little signs, little signs of judgment. But one day, we will have to leave this world behind. And we have to face God. And one day, this world will come to an end. And God will say, enough is enough. I think he was a 19th century poet, uh, Walter Savage Landor. Uh, he described Swansea Bay as uh, like the Bay of Naples. Well, maybe that was true in the 19th century. <laughs> and he, he wrote this little poem. I fought with none, for none were worth my strife. He's a cynic, you see. Yes, he's sort of facing the facts that I've been talking about this morning. But he still built a wall, a cynic with his wall. I fought with none, for none were worth my strife. Nature I loved, and next to nature, art. And so we can fill our lives with these things, and there's nothing wrong with them. But if we're filling our lives with pleasures in order to make us forget about God and his judgments, then there's everything wrong. And it doesn't satisfy our deepest needs because we have a never dying soul that needs to be saved, that needs to be filled, and only God can do that. Nature I loved and next to nature art. I warmed both hands at the fire of life. And when you're young, you think that's all there is to life. Our pleasures and our health. And we think we're going to live in this world forever. And the fire is strong. But then the fire is not going to last like that. It sinks, he says, and I am ready to depart. The fire, when you get to middle age, isn't as roaring as it used to be. And your natural strength isn't as strong as it was. And it is sinking. It's going down. And it doesn't matter what you try to fill your life with, what walls you build, whether it's pleasures, whether it's science, whether it's the arts, they're not going to avail. When you depart, unless you've got a savior, you are lost. The inhabitants of Jericho. Before I move on to my second point, I just want to give an example. There was a plague, uh, not the Black Death, after that, in 17th century London, there was a great plague. And a Puritan called Thomas Vincent, uh, he uh, wrote a book. God's terrible voice in the city. God's terrible voice, as in awesome, awesome voice in the city. And preachers who were preaching this gospel, I'm preaching, they were thrown out of their churches in 1662, before this plague. And they lived in the safety of the countryside. But when they heard about the plague uh, ravaging London, 
They left the safety of the countryside. These preachers that have been thrown out of churches and they came back to warn people and to offer them hope to preach. And Vincent says about these preachers, now they are preaching. Now they are preaching. And every sermon was to them as if they were preaching their last. They are desperate to have people saved from judgment. Another Puritan, Richard Baxter, wrote this couplet, Preach as near to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. I'm not pointing the finger at people round about us. I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm a dying man. You are dying. And I'm warning. And I'm also saying there is a deliverer. That's what my second point is about. It's not just the city of destruction, but God has provided deliverance. That's why we're looking at Rahab this morning. So without further ado, let's look at this uh, deliverance. Jericho was going to be destroyed. Every bit, every stone was going to be cast down. There was only one place of safety, and that was Rahab's house. It was built into the wall, uh, and that was the only place where you could be delivered. Uh, verse 17 of chapter 6 says, Now the city shall be doomed. It was a band. There was a ban over it. Doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all who are with her in her house. Now, it's not a house that we have to go to to be safe from God's judgment upon our city of destruction. It's a person. I know Jesus Christ is compared to a building, a temple. But Christ is the only place of safety. It's not a church building. There is a huge difference between being in a church building and being in Christ. That is why I think not being able to meet in the building has done us loads of spiritual good because it emphasizes the fact that it's Christ, this spiritual refuge that we stand in need of. And you don't have to attend a church building to be able to flee to Jesus Christ. This is what God is all about. This is what the Bible is all about. Yes, God's judgments, but uh, one of the prophets described God's judgments as a strange work. God's great work, God's delights, is mercy to save people who don't deserve it from impending judgments. Isn't that good news? This is the old, old story of Jesus and his love. How uh, God, uh, the Son, left the safety of heaven, the countryside of heaven, as it were, and came into this plague-ridden city of destruction, this sin-sick world, on a rescue mission, a rescue mission. And ever since Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he's now still on a rescue mission. This is what the church is about. It's a rescue mission in the famous words of C.T. Studd. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. They've got this nostalgic view of the church. And maybe they are struggling during this lockdown because they can't uh, attend that place. But that's not the church in its essence. I want, I want a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's the church. A rescue shop. even in this sin-ravaged world that is awaiting judgments. Now, what's God's rescue? What made Rahab safe? I'll use a word. I used it a few Sundays ago. Covenant. Do you remember what it means? God's covenants. Uh, chapter 2. This is 12 to 13. Uh, Rahab hid the spies. Uh, Joshua sent spies uh, on a recce uh, to see what the situation in Jericho was before they invaded. And the king of Jericho hears that there are Israeli spies in the city. 
and he sends soldiers looking for them. He hears they're in Rahab's house. And she says, no, no, they were here. They've gone. But she lied. She hid them uh, in uh, the, 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 the roof. And after the soldiers are gone, uh, she makes a covenant, a pact, a solemn agreement with the spies. So if you look at verses 12 and 13 in chapter 2, I beg you, notice the language here, swear to me by the Lord, that's Jehovah, the God of Israel, since I have shown you kindness, that you will show kindness to my father's house and deliver our lives from death. Covenants. It was because of that solemn pact between Rahab and the spies that when the invading army of Israel came upon Jericho, they left her house. They didn't destroy it. It was because of a covenant. Now, there's a word uh, there which I've got to give the Hebrew for. I'm not trying to impress you uh, because my Hebrew is no good at all. But this is what commentators say. The word for kindness, since I have shown you kindness, in Hebrew it's chesed, that you also show kindness, chesed, to my father's house. Now that word kindness is packed with meaning. Chesed is covenant mercy. Sometimes it's translated as steadfast love, covenant mercy and faithfulness. It's in contrast with the fickleness of mankind. The children of Israel, even though they were saved, they were fickle still. The inhabitants of Jericho were unfaithful. And yet, contrast that with God, who is constant and who is faithful in his promises. He is merciful and patient and long-suffering, steadfast love. Uh, the closest example in our life is a marriage covenant. But even the best of marriages uh, will have blips. But God, when he covenants, remains absolutely true and faithful. Chesed, chesed kindness. It helps being a Welsh speaker to be able to pronounce that word because of the guttural chesed. It's a blood bond. They basically say to Rahab, if you or your father's house go out, the blood be on your head. If we go against our promise and destroy your house, may our blood and your blood be on our heads. And this is emphasized by the sign of the covenant. Remember when we looked at Noah's rainbow? That was a symbol of the covenants. Here is another sign. Rahab asks for a sure token, a sure sign. And she lets the spies out uh, with a scarlet rope. That's how they escaped eventually from the city. And they say to her, leave that rope in the window. And when the invading army sees that scarlet rope, they will know not to attack your house. Do you see the significance? It's a blood bond, this covenant. It's not a covenant God has made with you and me. That would make it uh, doubtful because we can't keep our side of the covenant. This is a covenant that God the Father made with God the Son. It was made not on uh, the spur of the moment when God saw that we had disobeyed him. No, no. It was made before all of that. We started our service far before time beyond creation's dawn, before the sun and moon and stars were born. Salvation's way for sinners lost and done was counseled forth by God, the three in one. A covenant made in eternity past. And it's a blood covenant. What is that? Jesus Christ is in effect. This is why he left the countryside of heaven and came into this city of plague the city of destruction, he's saying, I'm going to take their place. Be their blood 
upon my head. I'm taking their disobedience, their failure to keep the covenant, as it were. I'm going to take the blame for it. And that's why it's the cross. It, that, 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 for many people, is a symbol of Christianity. The cross. It was by not just living as our substitutes, but dying for our sins, taking the judgment upon himself, and as a result, shedding his blood. The blood, the scarlet cord, is significant, you see. Scarlet reminds of blood, blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that protects us. It's because he has taken our judgments, born our hell, that we then are protected by the precious blood. Uh, Warren Wearsby said this, the scarlet rope would identify the house of safety to the army of Israel when they came to take the city. The color of the rope is significant because it reminds of blood, just as the blood on the doorsteps in Egypt at the Passover last time we looked at that, marked the house that the angel of death was to pass over. So the scarlet rope marked a house on the Jericho wall that's protected. This was the sure sign. Oh, my friends, we've got an even surer sign in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you got that? That's my question. Are we sheltering in Jesus Christ and him crucified? Is it him and him alone that we have put our hopes in? Listen, it's not about your faithfulness. No, no. Even as a Christian, you will fail him. This is the covenant. Jesus said, this is the will of my father who sent me, that of all he has sent me, I will lose none. I will not let none be destroyed. And the same Jesus who says that is also inviting you and me to come to him. He that comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't it wonderful? And there's a Welsh hymn, one of the greatest hymns in Welsh. It's been translated into English, and it's not a doer hymn. It's about the blood of Jesus. Now, we think if we're singing about someone's death, we should sing it slowly. Uh, when the ministers in Bala used to sing this hymn, and this was back in the day when Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, chaired the meetings in Bala, he would say to the person uh, playing uh, the piano or the organ, Make sure you play it fast. Not too fast, but make sure you don't let it drag because this is a hymn of hope. What hymn am I referring to? Caid fordi vadai pechod yn yr iawn. Translated by Mr. Hyam, there is a path of pardon where in his blood there is a sure, a sure, it's not just a sure sign, but a sure salvation in his blood. The law's full consummation. He's kept the law of God. So justice is satisfied. A father's approbation. The father says, I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased. Here's Zion's acclamation in his blood. Atonement and redemption in his blood. Do you see? Justice divine is satisfied. Because the punishment has been taken. The cup of God's wrath has been emptied. God can be just. And the justifier of you. If you believe in Jesus Christ. The rope was publicly set forth. God hath set forth Jesus on the cross. To be a propitiation. For sin. God's anger, that's what propitiation means, turning away from us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He sets forth as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This is God's rescue plan, my friends. Yes, we're in a city of destruction. That's the bad news. But praise be to God for devising in eternity a plan to deliver people who are doomed.
in Jesus Christ. Now, my last points. How did Rahab come to be delivered? It's not just God has a plan and that it's all in Jesus Christ. How does it come to you and me? Well, we're given the answer in the best commentary on this, which is not a book you have to buy. It's in the New Testament in Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, we're told, by faith, Rahab, the harlot, the prostitute, did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies in peace. Interesting. God isn't talking about Rahab's lie, is he? He's talking about Rahab's faith, her truth. Did, did you notice uh, that she made a confession of faith to uh, the spies? Uh, she is saying, we have heard, we have heard of what God has done. Let, let me read the words in chapter two. Uh, this is the language of faith. Uh, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red uh, Sea and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, you are God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. This isn't easy believism. What she's doing here is confessing. She's confessing that there's only one God, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that he's a God of judgments, and that this judgment has caused her heart to melt within her. Do you know something of the terror of the Lord? And that doesn't leave her uh, in despair, but she's saying, oh, have mercy upon me, save me and my family. So she's aware that she is in need of saving. She's aware that she's a sinner. She's aware that God has a rescue plan for sinners. And she's turning to these spies as she would turn to the Lord. That's faith. She didn't know much. We know far more. But that doesn't matter for faith. Faith takes God at his word, however much it knows. Very important. This covenant in Jesus Christ is a covenant of grace. It's grace that saved Rahab and her household. She didn't deserve it. It's that same grace that can come to you. Interesting. Rahab was saved not just from Jericho. She was saved in Jericho. In Jericho. You see, God commends his love, makes it conspicuous, like the scarlet robe. He commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We don't get to a place where we suddenly say, right, I'm ready to believe now. I'm good enough to believe now. No, no. Rahab believed in Jericho. You can believe. And turn to Jesus Christ in the city of destruction. Rahab is still known. Uh, she is called the harlot, the prostitutes, in the chapter that we read. In Hebrews, she is still called the harlot, Rahab. And in chapter 6, at the end of the chapter, she was known as Rahab the harlot. She, that's, that's how people referred to her. She was saved. And they would say, ah, yes, there's Rahab the prostitute, the one that was delivered from judgment. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. Rahab didn't remain a prostitute. And I need to say, she was a prostitute. It wasn't a, hospi uh, a hospice or a convent that she kept. It was an inn where prostitution occurred. She, she was saved from that sin and from her other sins. She, but God, as it were, still labels her as Rahab the prostitute, just to remind her and the children of Israel and us that it's grace 
that saves. Rahab didn't deserve the least of God's mercies. We don't deserve it. It's sinners that Christ Jesus came to save. It's sinners that are saved. And even though we're saved, we're still saved sinners. Just to amplify the grace of God. Now, I think we need to hear this. It's not comfortable, is it? Dale Ralph Davis, if you haven't read his commentary on Joshua, read it. He says, now that can be offensive. We say we can't have that. The church is for respectable, clean, middle-class folk. But that is like saying hospitals are only for doctors instead of sick people. Who then should be in the church but sinners? The church is not a club but a refuge for sinners who have been touched by the grace of God. That's how Davis puts it. Do you say amen to that? That's what I want, because I know I'm a sinner. I'm saved, praise be to God. But I'm with fellow sinners who've been saved, and we want to tell other sinners and have them come to our church to hear about the Saviour of sinners. Uh, the church isn't like a golf club. There's nothing wrong with golf clubs, but the church isn't uh, like something respectable in that sense with its dress code and with its extra rules. It's a refuge for sinners. Sinners saved from sin, saved to display in our new life in Christ that we're no longer what we once were. But it's still grace. It's still grace. I've got to come to a conclusion here, so please allow me to wind down. Do you hear the footsteps of the coming of God's judgment? I'm sure the children of Israel could be heard from the inhabitants of Jericho. The walls didn't muffle the sound of the impending army, impending judgments. Do you hear? Have you become hardened? Has God used even this horrible virus just to shake you a bit, to make you realize you're not going to live in this world forever, that you are going to die, that you need to be saved? Is your conscience pricking you now? Then come, confess your sin. Say with Rahab, I fear, I fear, I fear you, Lord. But I thank you that you've sent your only begotten Son. That whoever, and I'm in that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Praise be to God. Rahab had everything against her. She, she was a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew. She, she was a prostitute. She wasn't a righteous person. And yet she used those things to hurl herself and ourselves. We can use them at the feet of the Savior. The fact that we are beyond hope, maybe, that's how we feel. That's the very reason why we should go to the hope of the hopeless, the help of the helpless. The most amazing thing about Rahab is this. She married into the children of Israel, and it's through that lineage that King David was born, and that same lineage led to David's greater son, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ's family tree, in Matthew, Rahab, the prostitute, is mentioned. Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, yes, pure, spotless, son of God, but the friend of sinners, he's not ashamed to have a former prostitute in his family tree. For us Welsh people, pedigree, pedigree is so important. 
Rahab's pedigree wasn't good at all, was it? But by grace, she wasn't just delivered from judgment. was made part of the family of God. And her pedigree now was the child of the King of Kings. You and I are the King's sons. And we should live as if that's the case. Let me mention as I close another person Jesus Christ was not ashamed to have in his church. A slave trader, John Newton, many centuries ago. He was saved as a slave trader. He didn't stop becoming a slave trader before he could be saved. He was slave, he was a slave trader. And he was a slave to sin. And God's grace came to him. And he believed in Jesus Christ to save him. He didn't remain a slave. He became a pastor. And I think he was one of the greatest of pastors. A pastor to pastors as well. Because he could not ever forget the fact that it was grace. And he wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a slave trader, a wretch like me. Can you say the same? Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And there's a modern rendition which adds these words. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. That's God's judgment. But God, who called me here below, will be forever mine. This covenant in Jesus Christ is forever. Death will not annul it. There is no till death do us part in this covenant. Death is but an entrance to a fuller relationship. What your hope this morning? We're in the city of destruction. Like it or lump it. Even if you try to silence your conscience, I'm bringing before you God's word. But I'm also telling you, there is a deliverer in Jesus Christ and he is inviting you, even pleading with you, to turn to him as a sinner. To turn from your sin, yes, but to put your trust in him and to pray, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The moment that happens, you will know this blessed deliverance and blessing after blessing unlimited grace forever and forever for his name's sake amen now we're going to sing together to god be the glory great things he hath done so loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate He's opened the way to heaven that all may go in. There's only one response. Praise the Lord. Uh, so let's sing and praise our God uh, together.
Heavenly Father, we do give uh, all the glory to thee, for it is uh, of thee and thee alone that we are saved. And we just thank thee uh, for Jesus Christ and his grace. And we just pray uh, that we and all uh, those who are near and dear to us, uh, like uh, with Rahab, would be found in him. Uh, we pray, not having our own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And now let us say the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.